God, this morning, um, as we all uh, collectively uh, gather, uh, being physically distant, but Lord, uh, together in in spirit, Lord, I I pray um, that at this time, as we open up the scriptures, that your spirit would do work in the hearts of your people. God, if there's anyone uh, who is just uh, lonely or anxious or fearful or bored or whatever it is, God, because of the season that we're in, I pray in these moments as we sing and, and Lord, as we open up your scriptures that God, your spirit would just fill them with life and hope and joy and, and peace. God, I pray if anyone's tuning in and, and they don't know what they believe about God or what they believe about you, Lord, that in these moments, through your scriptures, Lord, would you speak to these people? Would you reveal yourself to them? And so God, we just pray in this moment, you would unite us together. You would feed us the things that our soul needs right now, God. And that Lord, we would leave this time worshiping together, encouraged, built up, and Lord, most importantly, with a bigger view of you, more in love with you. Pray, Lord, that your spirit would make that happen. We love you, and in Jesus' name, uh, amen. Uh, so this morning is gonna be week three of our Reconsider series. Now, now here's the deal. I'm just gonna shoot straight with you right now uh, and let you know exactly why we are doing this particular sermon series. Uh, our desire, actually our prayer, what we've been praying for during this season as we're dealing with this, this global pandemic and we're having to navigate that, and as we're being forced to live stream our worship services, we've never done this before, and so we are now live streaming these services, and so anyone could tune in, uh, anywhere in the world, anyone could tune in, just like many, many other churches are doing. Our prayer is that there would be people uh, who don't believe in Jesus, or, or maybe they're wrestling through what they believe when it comes to God and, and faith and the Bible and things like that. Or, or maybe there are going to be people who had a really hard church experience in the past, and they've walked away vowing to never return. And, and maybe because we're live streaming uh, and because of the situation that our whole planet is going through right now, uh, that those people would be willing to reconsider uh, what they believe about Jesus, what they believe about God. Uh, I mean, what we're going through right now, it, it causes us to ask lots of really big questions. And, and maybe I just described you and you're someone that you don't know what you believe right now. Uh, and, and you're someone that you're wrestling through a lot of big questions And actually, maybe you're someone, you've been abused in the church before, spiritually or in some other way. And that has just caused a lot of pain and hurt in your soul. And you've said, I'm never going to go back to the church ever again. And my prayer is that this morning, maybe you would reconsider as we look into God's word and to see what he has to say with us this morning. We have been praying for you specifically that these sermons and these days you would be reached and that you would be willing to reconsider what you believe about Jesus. And so this whole sermon series is all about trying to answer some common questions, some assumptions that people might have that that cause them to 
not consider if they believe in God or not. And so uh, in week one, two weeks ago, we started this series and the question that we asked was this, isn't religion just a coping mechanism for weak people or for people who are going through hardship? And what we did is we looked at some data when it comes to that question and how people usually answer that question. Then we looked into the God's word to see what he had to say about that. And so here's the deal. If you missed that sermon and you want to go back and view it, just scroll down in our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and you'll catch the replay from two weeks ago. Last week was the second week in this sermon series. And the question that we asked was, aren't we as human beings just temporary material beings you know, just a clump of cells, some advanced biological processes, you know, that's all emotion is, that's all uh, a spirituality is, it's just chemical interplay within us, and that's it? Isn't that who we are? And, and we tackled that question. So again, if, if you're interested in hearing the answer, um, scroll down and, and make sure that you catch the replay uh, of those sermons. But, but this morning, here is the question uh, that I want us to ask, and that's this. Isn't religion just about controlling people, right? Isn't faith, religion, whatever it is, isn't it just about controlling people, manipulating people, profiting off of people, right? You get religious professionals, like guys like me, pastors or whoever, we jump on stage, we put microphones on and we preach from God's word and we tell you what you should believe and what's right and what's wrong and, and the way you ought to think and, and what your worldview ought to be. And, and there's this all powerful being in the sky that we can't see and we can't really hear audibly. And, and that being is gonna bless you or curse you based off of if you listen to us or not, if you do what is right or not. And now we have these religious systems in the world that have been going on for millennia and so people believe in them and they're institutionalized and they're, and they're big. But really at the end of the day, isn't all of this just about controlling behavior, dictating what is right and wrong? Now, let me, let me uh, tell you where I actually got this question. The first time this question was ever posed to me uh, was by one of my next door uh, neighbors. This guy, he doesn't, he doesn't believe in God. And, and he said to me, we we're having a very friendly conversation. And he said to me, you know, no, no offense, Alan, to, to your line of work, but, but I think religion is just about controlling people and society. As you said, that's what I think it all, that's what I think it is. It's just, it's a way of controlling society. That's all faith is. And you know what my response was to him? I looked at him and my response to him was this. I said, I said, you know what? That is a completely fair question. That's a fair question. That's a question that we actually ought to deal with responsibly because people have had experiences that make that question valid, right? Like if you have that question, if that's something you're wrestling with when it comes to God, faith, religion, all of that stuff, you have probably had experiences or have seen things that make that question completely valid. 
right? Let me be honest with you. If I were somebody who didn't believe in God, I obviously do believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe that the Bible is the exclusive source of truth about who God is. I do believe those things. But if I were an atheist or if I were an agnostic, I would wrestle with this question. Because history is riddled with examples of people using faith and using religion to control people, to manipulate people, and to profit off of people. And they do it by pulling on people's heartstrings and giving them these spiritual guilt trips. And I get it. I get why when people see this segment of evangelicals, absolutely drunk off of proximity to political power to the point where they're willing to compromise their integrity and everything that they stand for and their witness. And I think non-Christians look upon that and say, see, they are all about power and control. That's what drives them. That is their end game. You want to push your morality. You want to push your societal standards, even on people who don't believe the same things that you do. I get it. Uh, when, when I see televangelists uh, trying to profit off of people, especially in the time of a global pandemic, by selling junk like healing towels or, or prayer vials of water and nonsense like that, I get it when people look at stuff like that and say, see, this whole religion thing is a joke. It's a, it's a joke. They're just profiting off of people who are really fearing and hurting right now. It's a con game. And that is a con game. Or when I look at history and we see that the, that the wars that have been fought and the violence that has been committed in the name of religion or motivated by some sort of faith, I get it when people say, see, religion is all about controlling people to the point that they are willing to shed blood if people don't do what they say. And I don't want to be any part of that. And for those of us that, that do believe in God and do believe in the Bible, we need to own the fact that there are people who have abused others in the name of faith and religion. People have used faith to control others and manipulate others and profit off of, profit off of others. And it ought to make us really sad because it happens. And this morning... I want us to look at a, a story about Jesus recorded in the gospel of Luke. Because we are going to see how, how this very thing, how faith is used by others to abuse people, how it also made Jesus really sad and how he wanted nothing to do with it either. And my prayer is, is that all of us would see this morning that there is a difference between the institutionalized religions of the world and the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, so if you have a Bible, uh, uh, turn to it to uh, Luke chapter 19. Uh, so we're gonna be in the gospel of Luke. It is the third book in the New Testament. So if you go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you will find it. Luke chapter 19, I believe we'll have the verses on the screen for you here in just a minute. Um, as I'm sure many of you know, uh, today is, is uh, Palm Sunday. And if you didn't know that, many of our kiddos just uh, just reminded you that uh, today is Palm Sunday. Man, I I miss you kids so much. Um, I can't wait to see you guys again. 
uh, which means that uh, we're, we're one week away from Easter, all right? So Palm Sunday kicks off what we call Holy Week in the church. And this is a week where we uh, celebrate and remember the many events that lead up to and include uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Palm Sunday uh, officially commemorates uh, Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem uh, during the week that he's going to be crucified. And so Jesus is riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. Um, I think we saw some of our families try to act this out for you, Uh, but riding into a donkey into Jerusalem and his disciples are lining the streets with palm branches and they're laying them on the ground and putting their cloaks on the ground as they praise Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. It's kind of like the entrance of a king after a victory. We call it the triumphal entry. Yet it's interesting because this scene is chalked full of irony. Because many of these same people who are shouting praise to God and and Hosanna in the highest, many of those people who are shouting those things in just a week time are gonna be shouting at Jesus, crucify him. Because one thing will be made clear during this final week of Jesus' life in Jerusalem, that his mission from God, the mission that Jesus had from God, did not align with what had become the religion that dominated Jerusalem at that time. And so the text that we're going to read this morning in Luke chapter 19 picks up right after Jesus' triumphal entry. So so he comes in on the donkey, and then we're going to pick up the story in verse 41. So I'm going to read Luke 19, 41 to 44. It says this. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Uh, Wept, meaning deeply grieved, deeply troubled over the city. Saying, verse 42, what that you, would that you, even you, Jerusalem, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Here's what Jesus is is saying right now. He's riding in and he sees the city and he's just weeping. He's deeply grieved. This is not tears of joy. This is, this is tears of deep sadness and grief because he's saying this, Jerusalem, Israel, you are my people. You are the people whom God revealed himself to. You are the people that we gave the scriptures and we sent prophets to you. And those prophets told you that one day God would send his son and that his son would be the Messiah and that Messiah would save you and establish God's kingdom. And I'm here, I'm right here and you've missed me. You don't even recognize me. 
You don't even recognize that I am the Messiah. You are blind to the time of your visitation that you have been waiting for for 2,000 plus years. And so Jesus, what he says right here, he foretells what's about to happen to Jerusalem in about 40 years. Uh, When the Romans came in and surrounded Jerusalem under Titus in AD 70 and destroyed the city and destroyed the temple. But the reason why Jesus is so deeply grieved when he sees the city, it's because the religion of that city, Jerusalem, had turned into something that is not described in this book at all. Sure, they use God's name. Sure, they quoted passages from this book. They claimed to follow the one true God. But we have a picture here in Luke of that one true God, Jesus Christ, riding into the city. He looks over it and he weeps because they are all deceived. They claim to follow the one true God, yet they couldn't even recognize that one true God when he was in their midst. The religion had become so institutionalized. The leaders of that religion had begun to see their platform as an easy way to control people, to gain power, to manipulate people, to profit off of people, to push a particular political agenda to the point where they completely missed the visitation of the Messiah. If we just continue a few more verses in our text, after Jesus rides into the city, He visits the temple, right? And the temple is the central place of of worship. He goes there and Jesus confronts right here in these next few verses, a blatant example of how genuine, authentic worship of the one true God had been hijacked by people and turned into an abusive and manipulative religion. Look at what Jesus does here. Verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive those out who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people, all of the religious leaders, were seeking to destroy Jesus. But they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his very word. All right, so, so let me explain to you what's, what's going on in this, in this picture. And to understand, you, you gotta understand uh, the purpose of the temple, all right? If you've been uh, tuning into our Wednesday night Bible study, we've been studying through the book of Haggai on Wednesday nights, we've been talking a lot about this. But you have to understand that we live, right now, we live in a fallen, sinful world. God and man We are at odds with one another, all right? And God is our creator and we have rejected him as having any sort of place or leadership in our lives. We have said, God, I don't want you a part of my life. I'm not gonna follow you and your word and all those things. I can do it on my own. And God has always been on a mission to reconcile that relationship between him in us. And so early on in the Old Testament, right, the early part of your Bible, God gave his people at the temple. And the temple was a place where God could be with us. His presence could be with man. But 
because God is holy and we are sinful and we have rejected him, right? We just can't be in the presence of God. There needs to be some sort of mediation between us and God. And that's what the temple was all about. It was a place where God's people could perform certain acts of worship, offer certain sacrifices of atonement so that they could be close to the presence of God. And the Old Testament gives us a lot of detailed instructions when it comes to temple worship, right? There was a temple tax that you had to pay so the temple could operate. You had to bring uh, um, animals or crops and other resources to offer as sacrifices to God, okay? So that's kind of the, the temple scene, okay? And so back to this incident where Jesus goes to the temple and, and just imagine this with me, right? Let's, let's all put our entrepreneur hat on here uh, for just a second, okay? Let's pretend that we could care less about religion or worshiping God or faith or anything like that, but what we really cared about was making a lot of money, and all of a sudden, we have this great business idea, right? Because this is what entrepreneurs do. They come up with great ways to monetize something that has not been monetized before. And so what began to happen at the temple is people began to establish these businesses, right? So people had to travel from far away to worship at the temple, and they needed to change their money so that they could pay the temple tax. So people set up booths where you could change your money and they would profit off of people needing to pay the temple tax. It was also hard to travel that far away with animals and resources and crops and different things that you had to offer as sacrifices. So people established businesses where you could buy those things right there in the temple courts and people would profit off the fact that these people needed to go to the temple and to worship God. And so people began to establish these businesses. Now, over time, this marketplace was established at the temple. And whenever you have a market established, right, it's important that you try and increase demand right? You want demand can go up so you can profit even more. And so do you think that, that the people who were selling these things were trying to manipulate those to buy certain animals for sacrifices or manipulate them into thinking they needed to worship more or whatever it was? Do you think there were under the table deals between priests and those who ran the temple so that everyone's bottom line would be increased? To be honest with you, we have no idea. The text does not tell us, but we all know human nature. And we all know that whenever there is a market, there is manipulation and corruption present to increase demand in profits. And that is the kind of religious culture that surrounded the temple when Jesus showed up that day. The one true God showed up. This is what's going on. No one knows who he is. They're all busy doing their religion. And Jesus is standing there. And what does Jesus do? You look into Luke's account. Luke says that he begins to drive them all out. You go to other gospel accounts of this story. It says that Jesus started flipping tables, pouring out all the coins onto the floor, cracking a bullwhip. He was angry that the temple that was established so that God's people could be close to him 
was now being used to abuse people and manipulate people and profit off of them. See, we see in this account that religion and spirituality is such an easy way to exercise control over people or to manipulate people. It's an easy thing to do. And that's what Jesus got angry about. See, whenever people have a legitimate need, an authentic need, right? Not a manufactured need, not a fake need, but a valid need. It's a great opportunity to take advantage of them. Think about this. Uh, We all have a need for unconditional love from our parents, from our family, from friends, that, that's something that we all need. And, and it's really hurtful and it can be really damaging to us when that's not provided to us. And people use that need to abuse and control and manipulate others all of the time. It's sheer evil. But the reason why they are able to do that is because it's an actual need. Evil people, abusers didn't invent our need of love so that they could abuse us. No, they hijack that need of love so that they can abuse and control other people. See, the fact that people use religion and spirituality to abuse people isn't an argument that spirituality is just a human invention. I actually think it is proof that we are spiritual people, we do have a spiritual need, and that we are created by a God, and our souls need to be in relationship with that God, but we are at odds with that God, and we need to be reconciled to him. We need reconciliation with God. So we have a true spiritual need and evil, abusive people will use that need against others to control and manipulate and profit off of them. And Jesus hated it. Just like you probably hate it and just like I hate it. Which is why in our text this morning, the religious establishment of the day, all those religious leaders saw Jesus as a problem and plotted to kill him. The one true God that all that they were doing is supposed to be centered around is standing in their midst and he's now a problem because he's standing in the way of the abusive system that they have established. Look at verses 47 and 48 with me just one more time. It says this, it says, and he was teaching daily in the temple and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. See, Jesus came to meet your actual spiritual need, which means the the true message of Jesus, listen to me, the true message of Jesus, it's never abusive, it's never manipulative, And it's never something that can be used to control or profit off of people, ever, ever. Jesus does not coerce or manipulate us into worshiping him. That is not what Jesus does. I don't care what you have heard. I don't care what you've seen some pastor who's a great speaker and he's so dynamic and he's able to say things in such a great way. If he says that Jesus will coerce or manipulate, if he's trying to control or abuse, it's not of Jesus. 
In fact, when you read the Bible, one of the things that is, that is crystal clear is that our true spiritual need, it's not a law. It's not a list of rules of what we should or should not be doing. Our true spiritual need, it's not finding the right rituals or the right traditions to make sure we perform to somehow unlock the blessing of God. God doesn't work that way. Our true spiritual need is not that we need to be controlled or stifled or suppressed. Actually, what the Bible says and what Jesus says is that our true spiritual need is that we need to be set free to be who we are without any hindrance. And you cannot fully be who you are. You cannot fully live out the purpose that you have. You cannot fully embrace joy and peace in this life if you are at odds with your creator. God didn't give uh, these things to us. God created us with, with passions. He created us with a personality. He created us in a specific moment, in a specific place, with a specific purpose. And he didn't give those things to us just so that they could be stifled and suppressed. No, God gave those things to us because we bear his image and his desire is that we would live our life abundantly according to the purpose that he has given us us, but you cannot fully be you. You cannot fully be you if you are alienated from God. And the difference between Jesus and controlling abusive religion is Jesus came because he actually loves you and to lay his life down for you. While controlling abusive religion is, is not interested in laying anything down for you. It's only interested in taking things from you. It's only interested in gaining followers so their platform can increase and their access to, to power and influence can increase. And there are many people out there who preach sermons from this book and they claim the name of Jesus and they sound great and they sound spiritual and they can pull all the emotional heartstrings to make you feel like what they're saying is true. They claim to be representing Jesus, but they are just controlling abusive religion. And so, so listen to how Jesus describes the difference between him and his gospel and controlling manipulative religion. Look at this. I want you to read this with me. John chapter 10, verses seven to 15. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words of the good shepherd who is speaking truth to you. All right, so, so don't worry about everything else that other people have said right now or other things that you have heard about religion or faith. Just listen to what Jesus says to you right now in John 10, verse seven. He says this, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I, Jesus, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. Think of, think of the marketplace at the temple thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. 
They will come and go freely and find good pastures, right? The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Friends, our spiritual need is not a law. We don't need a law. We don't need do's and and don'ts. Those things cannot change our hearts. We need mercy from God and we need a new heart that loves God. And when Jesus says that he is the good shepherd who will lead us to a rich and satisfying life, he is saying that he will be the one who will provide that mercy to us. And he will be the one who will give us that new heart. And he does that through laying down his own life for you and for me. When Jesus hung on that cross, he took on himself all of our sin and God rained his mercy down on us, making a way that we could now be reconciled forever. Uh, Not through temple sacrifices, not through rituals, not through do's and don'ts and laws and things like that, but through Jesus forever. But we not only get the mercy of God, but God also begins to do this transformative work in our hearts where we begin to love God and his ways, where we see his word as good that brings us life, where we want to follow and surrender our whole lives to him. And the reason why Jesus wept as he looked over Jerusalem was because God's mercy was available to them and they missed it. They completely missed it. He was right there. True freedom and life and joy and peace was available to them. It was right there and they missed it. Is that gonna be your story? Are you gonna be the one who heard the good news of Jesus, the good shepherd? What was was shown the gate? This is the way to life. This is the way to peace. This is the way to mercy. This is the way to heal the the, the hole and the wound in your soul, the spiritual need that we all have. Here's the gate. Are you gonna be the one that you've seen it, you've heard it, but rejected because you weren't willing to reconsider what you believe about God? And so here's my question. Will, Will you this morning reconsider Jesus Will you pray to him right now and just say, God, I don't know if you're there, but would you reveal yourself to me? Because I keep hearing about this idea of mercy and I know that I need mercy in my life. And would, would maybe you pray that prayer and just see what God begins to do in your heart?
And, and we as a church here at Grace Hill, we want to avail ourselves to you. We want to we want to help, we want to disciple you, we want to help you grow into what it means to truly believe in and follow and, and surrender to Jesus. And so if you want that help, just reach out to us. You can, you can go to our website, gracehillchurch.com, and click the connect with us button right there and fill it out, and, and we'll receive that, and we'll reach out to you. But I just want you to know that we have been praying for you specifically right now in this moment that you would surrender all to Jesus, the good shepherd who leads you to life. But to the rest of the church, Grace Hill, to those of you who, who do believe in Jesus, there, there are two things uh, from all of this that I just wanna, I wanna encourage you with today. Uh, the first is this, we, we serve a God who promises us a rich and satisfying life. And, and that doesn't mean that our life will be absent of suffering and, and hardship. But, but it does mean that he wants to shepherd us towards joy and peace, even in the midst of a hardship. And so if that joy and peace is absent from you right now, in your soul, and that's something that you long for, I just, I wanna push you to this. You need to avail yourself to the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs to minister these things to your soul. And we are in a season right now with this pandemic where it's so easy to isolate ourselves. God never designed us really to be able to do anything alone. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. So we need each other. And you have a savior that has laid down his life for you. And now you have a church family who has been called to lay down their life for you as well to minister to your soul. You need them. And, and to the rest of the church, let, let's let that be a challenge to us this morning. What our world needs today, what our brothers and sisters in Christ need today is not behavior control. It's not guilt trips. It's not shame. What our world needs and what we all need is, is the gospel, the good shepherd, the ministry of the good shepherd who leads us to a rich and satisfying life. And the way that we as the church point people to the good shepherd, listen, is by laying down our own lives just as Jesus did for others. The world doesn't need to see any more examples of selfish religion. The world needs to see examples of the church loving people like Jesus loved people. And so if, if, you, if you're made aware of someone, someone in the church who's suffering or is anxious or struggling, your neighbor, a coworker, anybody, let me ask you, how will you lay your life down so that you can lead them to the good shepherd? How will you be a consistent presence of encouragement in their life? Listen, guys, right now, people don't need just a quick check-in and then we drop off the face of the world. One text message, one Facebook message isn't gonna do it. We need to be people who are consistently encouraging others, laying down our lives, and it can be inconvenient, the whole lay down our life part just as Jesus did for us. Our world has seen enough of cold, dead religion, but Jesus came to lay his life down so that we may have true life. And Grace Hill, listen to me, we are followers of Jesus. 
And that means that we follow Jesus, the good shepherd. As he laid down his life for us, we lay down our life for others. Let's show the world the character and the glory and the mercy of the one true God, our creator. Let me pray. Jesus, we are so grateful uh, this morning that, that you came to lay down your life for us. And God, I just, I pray in the name of Christ that everyone out there who's peddling false abusive religion, everyone out there who is using faith and religion and, and our spiritual need to abuse and control people, God, in the name of Christ, would you silence them Would you, would you remove their ministry and their platform? And God, I pray that you would lead people to the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for us. And so God, I pray if there's anyone out there right now and they just, they're just, they want to believe in this. God, I pray would you just lead them right now to, to, to get on their knees before you and just to surrender all to you right now and put their faith and trust in you. Because Jesus, you are the gate and all who enter through you will be saved. And God, help us as a church to be a church that demonstrates to the world what Jesus really has done for us. Help us to lead people to the good shepherd. We love you. We ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.